Welcome to Through the Bible. Our teacher, of course, is Dr. J. Vernon McKee, and we'll begin our study in Ephesians 6 right away. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you fill us with your wisdom and truth so that we know how to follow you today? We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our last time we left off in this section here that has to do with the church is a soldier. The believer is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And we're now looking at the relationships of the soldier. His training began in the home as a little one, and this chapter opened in that remarkable way. Children, obey your parents. And that's something a soldier has to learn. Now we came to the place where we saw capital and labor brought before us. And actually, last time we had only time to refer to labor, and so I reached ahead and read the passage that related to both, because it's like the relation of husband and wife. You have no right to lift one out to the exclusion of the other. And there is a responsibility put upon a believer who is a laborer, and also a responsibility put upon one who is a capitalist, are one who is the employer. This is the employee and employer relationship. And in that day, it was actually a sharper division than that. It was really master and slave. And this passage reads like that. Bond servants, that is slaves, be obedient to your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as to Christ, not with eye service, as men pleases, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the soul, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatsoever good each one shall have done, this shall he receive from the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Now, the question we've had before us has been, that of submission first in the home, the husband and wife relationship, then the parent-child relationship. Now he moves out of the home, into the street, out to the workshop in the marts of trade, and into the office. And it's a different situation here between slave and master. There are no bonds of love such are found in the home. Yet children of God who are filled with the Holy Spirit should be submissive one to another. In fact, he began by saying, submit yourselves one to another. Now, that's all right for Sunday, for the church service. But what about Monday morning when you go to work? You're working for a believer, and you are a believer. Or you are working men that are believers. Well, it's estimated that Half of the population of the Roman Empire was slave. That is, there were 120 millions of people in the Roman Empire, approximately. 60 million of those were slaves. Now, Christianity never made an attack upon the evil of slavery, but it reached down to the slave in his degradation and lifted him up, assuring him of his liberty in Christ, and preached a gospel that the very nature of it condemned slavery, and it eventually broke the shackles of slavery, 
from the bodies of men and cut the fetters from their minds and souls. And in this country, the South had to lose. I'm a Southerner, but the South had to lose because slavery was wrong. And that doesn't mean that the North was right in their method, but it does mean that the principle of slavery was wrong. Now, there were in the Roman Empire multitudes of slaves who came to Christ. Now, the church began to reach actually into the Praetorian Guard of Caesar and into the palace itself. And now he says, be obedient. And the church did not instigate revolution against the evil practice of slavery. But it preached a gospel that was more revolutionary than a revolution has ever been. Because a revolution has always had its side effects, which has been bitterness and hatred that has existed through the centuries. But when the gospel of Christ is preached, it'll break down the middle wall of partition. I actually believe that today, if we had the preaching of the Word of God in this country, and there never was a time when America could have been called Christian, but we certainly are far from it today. But if it could be preached as it was in the early days, and those who professed to be Christian were obedient and loyal to those to whom we owe obedience and loyalty, it would have a tremendous effect today upon the public life of America and our contemporary society. You know, a man is not a Christian just because he's made a profession. He reveals that Christianity. And just to profess on Sunday you're a child of God is no good. Are you loyal to your employer? Are you faithful to him? Are you loyal and faithful to your family, to your home, to your church, to your pastor? And when a professing Christian is disloyal in these areas of his life, the chances are he'll be disloyal to Christ. And certainly he has no witness at all. Now, there's some details here we need to pay attention to. He says here that you are to be obedient to your masters according to the flesh. Paul makes it clear that slavery only applied to the bodies of man, never to the souls of man. And it was to be with fear and trembling. Now, that does not mean abject and base cringing before a master, but it does mean to treat him with respect and dignity. There's one thing today that I have no use for. It's a officer of a church who pretends to be loyal to his pastor, to his face, and then's disloyal to his back, or a member of a staff that is disloyal on the outside. To me, this is the lowest form of life today. You just don't get any lower than that. You and I should always treat with great respect and dignity those that are over us, by the way. Now he says, in singleness of your heart. And that means there's to be no duplicity, not being two-faced in it all. Now he says you're to do this as to Christ. 
Now, that shows that the slave has been lifted from the base position of degradation where he sullenly worked as little as possible and only when his master was watching. Now he's the slave of Christ, and Christ has made him free, and he's to look above the earthly master and attempt to please his master in heaven. A master could control only the bodies of the slaves, and the slaves of Christ have yielded their souls to him, yea, their total personalities. You see, Paul called himself, Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Now, he says, with goodwill doing service, shows that their attitudes should reflect their Christian service. When a child of God, whether a slave or a master employee, our employer gets to the place where the motive of his life is to please Christ, then I tell you the hurdles posed by Captain Labor are easily passed over. In our day, I think there's a new kind of slavery, and it's sweeping over the nations of the world. And in our own land, there is a slavery, and it's not only of the body, but of the mind. Such slavery, I think, is far more pernicious and deadly than that of the Roman Empire. And multiplied thousands are willing to make any sacrifice today to foreign ideology. And you can call it anything you want to. I've had the privilege of speaking to a group of students from Berkeley here in California. These young men have turned to the Lord and their major's political economy. Now, there was a time when they were a slave to this form of political economy, to a particular system. And now they're delivered from that. As one young man told me, he said, one time I thought we could manipulate the economy and that we could make everybody prosperous and everybody happy. And he said, I see now that only Christ will be able to bring in that kind of a society. And that doesn't mean, he says, we're not going to work for it, but it does mean that we're going to know that our goal is limited and only Christ can do it. Now, what is it today that can break the shackles? Therefore, it's only the power of the gospel of Christ. He says, if the Son therefore shall make you free ye shall be free indeed. Now, it's Christ that offers freedom. Think of the thousands today that are trapped by drugs, by alcohol. It's alarming the way alcoholism is taking over the lives of multitudes today. And I don't care to enter into that. But what we're talking about is there is a slavery that's about us. And... Um, person who's working for another should serve as unto Christ, not unto the boss that's over them. The Saul of Tarsus was a slave to an ideology. He was a Pharisee, and he came to Christ, and he was made free. And immediately, though, he yielded to a new master, and he said, what wilt thou have me to do? And he became a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Now, that's the position, you see, the high position that the Lord has lifted the employee to. He's dignified labor. and doesn't make any difference whether a man's working at a bench or digging a ditch or 
working in an office or whether he's a miner down in the bowels of the earth or a farmer tilling the ground. Each one of them can say, I serve the Lord Christ if he's a child of God. But now what about the master? What about the boss? Well, we're talking now to believers. And ye masters, do the same things toward them, giving up your threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. There is no respect of persons with him. Now, you must understand, if you are the employer, that before Christ, you just another man. There's no respect of persons with him. And what he said to labor applies to you. You come in under the same category, and you are to have a master, and your master is Christ. And this is the Christian relationship of capital and labor. And responsibilities are mutual. Masters are to adopt the same general attitude toward their servants, which is a servant of Christ. And they're not to take advantage of their position as master. They're not to abuse their power. They're not to threaten. And in the presence of Christ, the master and the servant stand on the same footing. They're brothers in Christ. And this relationship is seen in a very practical demonstration, I think, in the epistle of Philemon. You remember Philemon was a master, and he had a servant by the name, a slave by the name of Onesimus, that ran away from him. And according to the law of the day, he could have put him to death. But he didn't put him to death, because Paul sent him back with the epistle to Philemon. And he says in that epistle, you're to receive him, not now as a servant, a slave, but above a slave, a brother Beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, therefore, when a capital and labor are believers, you've got an altogether different relationship. It's not capital and labor. It's brothers. That's the thing that makes them partners. Now, I mentioned about a business over in Dallas, a great manufacturing concern over there, employs several hundred men. And many of those that work there are believers. In fact, most of them are. And the owners are believers. And the very interesting thing is they don't need capital-labor relationships there because they're all brothers. And you ought to see the way it works. And actually, those that work there, they share in the profit. One man said to me, he said, you know, he says, it pays me to work hard here because he says, I share in the profits. May I say to you, what a difference it makes when that exists. Don't tell me Christianity is not practical. It is practical. It'll work. The thing that was said years ago, I think, by a great Chinese Christian, Sun Yat-sen, he commented on Christianity in this country. And you must remember he attended school over here, and he knew America pretty well. And he says it's not that in America that Christianity has been tried and found warning. He says the problem over there is it never's been tried. <laughs> That's the problem today. We've kept it back of stained glass windows. The nicest thing that anybody has ever said about 
my minister, and especially this radio ministry. is a man up in San Francisco, and he's a broker, man of means, by the way, outstanding businessman. And he wrote me a letter, and he said, I listened to you on the way to work. Been listening now a long time. He's an officer in a church. I take it it's a liberal church. And this man's come a long way spiritually. And he said to me, he said, you know, you do not sound like you're speaking from the inside of stained glass windows. And that's the nicest thing you can say. Because my friend, if Christianity can't move out of the sanctuary and get down yonder with the secular, there's something radically wrong with it. And it'll work if it's tried. And it'll work in this capital labor relationship. Now we come to the theme of this chapter, which is the church is a soldier. Believer is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And now we are going to see, as we have seen the soldier's training here and his relationships, we see him in the home. That's where God begins with him. And then we see him moving out into the world. And he's either an employee or an employer. He has to be one or the other. And as a child of God, he's got to contribute to the welfare of the contemporary society. He has to be a producer one way or the other. So there was that relationship. But now we come to something that's very important. And we see the soldier's enemy because there's a battle to be fought. We're going to see that the thing that today is probably more misunderstood than anything else is the fact that the child of God is in a battle, and the battle is being fought along spiritual lines. I've made a statement that has caused quite a bit of controversy, I understand. I've said that sometimes the most dangerous place you can be is in church on Sunday morning. You know, in Jerusalem, the most dangerous place to have been the night Jesus was arrested was not to have been with that bunch of Pharisees or with the cutthroats in the underworld, but the most dangerous place to have been would have been in that upper room where Jesus was. And you know why? The devil was there. He'd put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. He was there. And if Judas Iscariot was here today, and Simon Peter even, I think both of them would testify to the fact that was the most dangerous place to have been that night in Jerusalem. And so we need to recognize where the battle is being fought today, the spiritual battle going on right now. After he first recorded this study, Dr. McGee wanted to add further clarification. The spiritual battle we face is so interesting. In order to understand properly what we mean when we say that the most dangerous place to be sometimes is in the church on Sunday morning, it might be well for us to look at our enemy. Peter has identified him for us, for he says... Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Unfortunately today, many Christians 
are totally unaware of this enemy. Well, we need to recognize we'll never be able to live the Christian life successfully unless we know about our enemy and how that we are to overcome him. The enemy of our souls is Satan. And there are two things that we need to know about him. We need to know something about his motive. And we need to know something about his method. And they both, by the way, go together. The average viewpoint is that he wants to be unlike God. There are those that think that he actually is anti-religious because he's against God. But that's not it at all. Because you'll find out that he's revealed is actually wanting to be like God when his entire motive and program is given to us in the 14th chapter of Isaiah, verse 14, I read, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That is his motive, and his method, therefore, is to try to attain that. When the man of sin is put forth to the world by Satan, why, he is revealed as wanting to be worshipped. Over in Revelation, chapter 13, and I read verses 4 and 5, it says, And they worship the dragon, and that's Satan, which gave power unto the beast, that's the Antichrist. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And then again down in verse 15 it says, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. You see that he wants to be worshipped. He wants to take the place of God. And that's the reason he's not out with the boys on Saturday night. That crowd already belongs to him. He wants to go to church Sunday morning, for that's where the battleground is. And he's after the Christian to destroy the Christian's witness. And by so doing, he's striking at God. Notice several scriptures in this connection. Over in John 16, 33, the Lord Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He didn't promise to make you happy. He promised to make you holy, my friend. And here we see that there's an enemy down here to overcome. And in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You can't escape it if you're going to live for God today, my beloved. And in 1 John 3, 13, he says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. And the Lord Jesus said, If the world hates you, don't be wondering at that, because the world hated me before it hated you. And so you have that going through the entire Word of God. And that's the reason that in this chapter we've come to, he says in verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our wrestling 
is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual house in the heavenly places. He's after the Christian today to destroy the Christian's testimony, you see. And he said that, you remember, to our first parents. He said, you're going to be as gods, knowing good and evil. And to Christ in the wilderness, he said to him, worship me. The thing that he does today, and maybe does it on Sunday morning in your church, is to get us so busy that we don't have time for communion. You can talk about your numbers and your finances all you want to, but they don't count. How much time was there for communion with the Lord Jesus Christ? There can be no service without that communion with him. The devil is hitting us in that spot, our solar plexus, if you please. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. For information on this worldwide ministry, call 1-865-BIBLE or visit ttb.org. Again, that's 1-865-BIBLE or ttb.org. Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?